0: So today we'll be speaking on out of the book of Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, actually verses fifteen through twenty-three, and this text is very interesting because it's very direct. It's very direct. It's a it's very direct in the message that Jesus is giving. Um, <clears throat> he doesn't leave any any ideas to thought. He's letting letting you know exactly what you want to say, and it's a personal message to me as well. Um, most people may say it's a difficult message to understand, but I look at, it, look at this as a message of love, and I'll explain to you why I say it's a message of love, but it's also a message of warning. Um, <clears throat> so I'll briefly open us up in prayer, and then I'll take us to Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, and then we'll begin. <clears throat> Lord, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak today, uh, to share your word. And as usual, Lord, I just always pray that whatever I say is received and exactly you want it to be received. And I pray that I say exactly what you want me to say um, to ensure that your will is understood perfectly. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, I'll, I'll say it again. I do look at this as a message of love. Um, it's also a, a warning message to, to those of us who call ourselves Christians. And messages like this are often difficult difficult for me to preach because uh, it's going to ask you to examine yourself as as. I have as I have to examine myself many t- as I have to examine myself many times so before I start I'll open us up with the with the passage of, from James James chapter 3 verse 1 <clears throat> James chapter 3 verse 1 now many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that he who teach will be judged with greater strictness so what the Lord is saying here is not many of you should choose to ch- choose, should choose to teach like I'm doing today so I'm teaching, And if I'm teaching you falsely, the Lord is going to hold me to a much higher level of accountability. right? So it doesn't benefit me to lie to you today. It doesn't benefit me me to you to tell you false truths um, because I will be held to a higher level of accountability. So messages like this are very hard for me to speak upon. As I I remember, as I was preparing this week, I was just reviewing the sin that's in my life. And the Lord really revealed that to me. Um, And he said, uh, you can't be false in front of these people. It's impossible for you to have sin and not be dealing with that sin on a regular basis, asking for repentance, and then asking the people in the church to do the same thing. So I really took this message personally because um, it applied to my life, and it's also, and it's actually one of the passages that helped me to seek salvation about ten or fifteen years ago. I don't remember the exact date, um, but it is. So I'll begin Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. <clears throat> Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So what is the Lord talking about here? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So who is the Lord talking about here? He's talking about people that look like Christians that are not. People who look like us, people who are in sheep's clothing, people who when you look at that person, they look like a Christian. They talk like a Christian, but they're looking to deceive you. So this is one of the first places or first warnings that the Lord has given you. Beware, there's people that are going to come to you that are going to look just like a Christian, look just like Michael or Craig or Derek or Sam. They're going to be people who are leaders in the church, but they're going to deceive you. They're going to lead you away from the doctrine. So please beware of these people. But you may say, how is it that these people can lead you away from truth? And now ask yourselves a question. Don't answer this aloud, of course, but when's the last time you read your Bible? Ask yourself that. And then if you can't remember the last time you read your Bible, how frequently do you read your Bible? So it's easy for people to lead you astray when you don't know what the truth is. So what the Lord is saying is there's going to be people that come to you that look like Christians, talk like Christians, dress like Christians. They present themselves as Christians, and they even think think themselves as to be Christians but they don't know the truth, and they're going to lead you astray by their teachings. Because many times as people, the only Bible we ever read is what we hear in church on Sunday mornings, what we read on Facebook, memes, or when we look at someone else's life. And that person's life may be right, that person's life may be wrong. But in order for you to truly, truly know the truth, truly know the Lord's Word, you have to read your Bible continuously. You have to understand, you have to discern it. You cannot listen to Michael or Craig or Sam or Derek or anyone else. You have, to, you have to understand the truth for yourself. You have to know Jesus Christ for yourself. So what the Lord is saying in Matthew chapter 7, verse 10 is, Please beware, church. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So please beware. There's going to be people that come to you with an attempt to teach you, but they're going to be leading you further and further and further away from Jesus Christ. So the Lord here is saying, please beware. So my responsibility, my responsibility as a teacher is to teach you biblical truth. Your responsibility as a congregation is to discern if what I'm saying is true or false. You should not blindly just accept everything I say. When I speak to you, you should go and make sure I'm referencing that from Scripture and if you have a doubt of what I'm saying, you should ask me that. You should challenge me. right? You should bring me to the side after church and say, hey, I want you to explain further about what you said. But your responsibility as a congregation, until you know my spirit, is to discern if what I'm saying is true or, tr- is true or false and if it's biblical. Not opinions based. I'm not asking for you guys to cast opinions. But everything I share with you should be biblical and it should come from the Bible. And that's the same for me for Craig, for Derek, for Sam, anyone else who speaks in this church. So my responsibility is to give you biblical truth. Your responsibility as a congregation is to protect yourselves by discerning if what I'm saying is true or false. Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 18. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So you've probably heard this verse many, many times. And what the Lord is talking about here is what's a person's lifestyle or what type of behaviors do they have habitually, continuously, not one time. So I'll briefly explain what this is. What the Lord is saying, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. What he's saying is a good person And when I'm saying a good person, I'm not saying a person who looks good or dresses nice or smells great or drives a nice car, right? I'm saying a biblically good person who, if you were to compare this person to Scripture, a good person will not always just have bad things happening to them. Fighting at work or fired from a job or multiple marriages or always caught in conflict. A good person will not always have these things. And if a person is saying they're good but they're always having problem in their life, you you should discern that. You should be cautious. You should understand... Is this person, does this person really have a regenerated heart? And you should you should ask yourself that question if you're going to make that decision to follow this person. And I'll give you an example when I say habitually. If you were to take a video camera, follow around Michael Robinson uh, for a day. If you were to take a video camera, and walk, walk through my house and that video camera was just follow, following me everywhere I went. I'm walking through my kitchen and I'm coming around the corner. I hit my toe on the side of the counter and my first response is, oh, Right? I made a mistake, but if you took a picture right then in that video and then you showed that video in church and said, look at Michael Robinson, this person is blasphemous, look at the language he uses around his family, he's terrible, right? That would show Michael Robinson as a bad person. True enough, that should have never happened, but that was an incident in time that I can repent from. However, if you took that video camera around my house and everywhere I went, I was cursing and swearing and fighting with people and rude and arguing with my wife and disrespectful, that's habitual, right? That's who I am as a person, right? And that's what the Lord is saying. If a person is good, he will not have that character. If a person is truly good, if a person has truly been saved by Jesus Christ, that character will not exist in him. Now let us continue. Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So, the Lord makes it very clear: for those people who appear to be Christians, who appear to be good, but you're not bearing any fruit, you have a habitual lifestyle of disobeyment or um, just turning away from God, the Lord is saying, "There's no value for those people, right? Those people will be cut down and thrown into the fire." And so, what the Lord is saying in the beginning of the in the beginning of the scripture, 7, Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen. He's telling us to beware of false prophets, beware of people that look like Christians that are not because they're coming to deceive you. Right after that, in verses 16 through 20, it's almost a preamble to the next scriptures. He's saying, first, I want you to beware of those people. But now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to those people. Right. And that's what verses 21 through 23 goes on to talk about. And this is important because these verses literally saved my soul about, I'll say, 15 years ago. I was talking to Derek. Yesterday, telling him the story to where there was a period of time where I was in college and I thought I was saved. And then it was only after I heard the scripture that I realized I wasn't saved. It was a pastor by the name of Paul Washer, and he was speaking. And one of the things he said to me was so powerful. And I'll use the same example he gave me 15, 20 years ago. I'll use that same example now. So imagine if I was driving to church this morning. I was on School Highway, Highway 1, and I had a flat tire. And in the process of getting out of my car, I go to change the flat tire. Right when I'm walking, going to walk back inside of my car, a lorry hits me. A lorry hits me. I'm laid out on the side of the interstate, right? Two hours later, I'm in church. So they say, Mike, how did your morning go? Oh, my morning was terrible. I was changing my tire, and I got hit by a lorry, right? I got up, and I came to church. What's the first thing you would say to me? If I, if I just was hit by a lorry two hours ago going 100 kilometers per hour and I'm in church speaking to you right now, what would you say? If I got hit by a lorry in the middle of the street standing 100 kilometers per hour, what would you probably say to me? Are you lying? Right? Are you telling the truth? And the reason you would say that because it's impossible for me to get hit by something that it's impossible for me to get hit by something that powerful and not be physically changed. My whole body would be changed. Everyone would see that physical change. I would be changed mentally, spiritually, physically. Everything about me would look different. It's impossible for you to be touched by the blood of Jesus Christ and look exactly the same. It's impossible for you to be touched by the blood of Jesus. And the people who knew you before, you're the same person to them. They see no difference in you. So if you're someone who's saying you have been touched by the blood of Jesus Christ and there's no change in your life, you haven't been touched yet. You haven't been saved. Continue to seek him. And so when I heard that, I started to listen more and more to Paul Washer, and then he goes on to explain these scriptures, and I immediately fell down to my knees and started crying for two reasons. For one, I realized I was lost. I wasn't saved. And if I would have died at that point, I would have gone to hell. But most importantly, I was excited because the Lord loved me enough to allow me to hear that message. And I was rejoiced because then I went through the steps to understand hey, let me make sure my salvation is real. So, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who was in heaven. Now, who calls Jesus Christ Lord? Do Muslims call Jesus Christ Lord? No. Buddhist? Hindu? Sikh? Christians? Yes. So who's he talking to in this scripture? Christians. He's talking to us. Those of us who call us followers of Jesus Christ, he's talking to us. So I'll read it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who claims to be a Christian, not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who reads the Bible, not everyone who pays their tithes, not everyone who does all these things will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what he's saying is just because you go to church, just because you're a Christian, just because if you're Catholic, you said you're Hail Mary's, just because you do all these things, read your Bible, just because you ask for forgiveness, just because you pray, just because you do all these things, that does not give you a pass to heaven. Just because you do all of those things. And when I realized this, when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ, I became very legalistic. Do I believe in the rules associated with legalism? Yes, there's value there, and I believe those rules help you to understand when you're on or off track. But legalism alone will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. And what I mean by that, I became someone who was very disciplined. I read my Bible, on, I read my Bible daily. I went to church. I prayed. I was tithing. I was talking to people about Christ. But when you close those doors, the real Michael Robinson came out, right? So behind closed doors, I had sexual sin, right? There was other things I was struggling with. I wasn't smoking or drinking or going out to clubs or parties with my friends, but maybe I wanted to. So my heart wasn't regenerated yet. So on on the outside, I had this shell of being a perfect Christian, but on the inside, I was the same person. And then I realized that, and that's what the Lord's talking about. Just because you go to church, just because you've been baptized, just because a pastor said, hey, now... Now you're ready for the kingdom of heaven. That does not mean you're going to heaven. Just because you say, "Lord, Lord," does not mean you're going to heaven. So I'm not going to stop there. I'll give you more. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. If you're if you're anything like me, you have you have a lot of questions right now. And if you do, you should. Uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-two. On that day, many will say to me, "Lord." Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, let's go through this again. Who's ever prophesied or casted out demons? I've never cast out demons. I don't know if I've prophesied. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. But who do you think he's talking about? Do you think he's talking about the congregation or the leaders in the church right here? The elders. We're not exempt. Just because you've prophesied, just because you've cast out demons does not mean you're going to heaven, right? Just because you've done these things, Michael, just because you've moved to Malaysia and helped Craig start a church and you're speaking to these people, that doesn't mean you're going to heaven just because you did that. You don't go to heaven just because you've checked something off a bucket list, right? So what the Lord is really saying here, he's really sending a warning and a message to Christians or people who believe they've truly been saved by Jesus Christ, He's sending a message to the Christians, the elders, everyone, just because you're doing these legalistic things or this just because you're doing these things in my name does not mean you are saved, does not mean you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, lawlessness. This scripture should do one of two things to you right now. You should be rejoicing because you know you're saved, or you should be terrified. And for me, I was terrified. And the reason I was terrified, because I imagined when I read verse 23, and I'll read it again. And then, while I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Can you imagine? You're 70, 80 years old, you just died. There is a beautiful funeral for you. Your homecoming is done. You're excited. You're gearing to meet the Father. You're standing in queue, all right? You're in line, waiting to meet. There's four people in front of you. Ah, my son, enter, job well done. Enter, job well done. Enter, job well done. Who are you? I don't know you. Depart from me. You've lived your whole life only to get to that point to realize you're going to live an eternity separated from Jesus Christ. And to make it more impactful in eternity is hell. You're going to live an eternity, not a hundred years, not a thousand, not ten thousand. You're getting ready to live an eternity separated from Jesus Christ because you thought you were saved. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? So how can you be sure? How can you be sure that you're saved? Because Jesus is sending this message for a reason, as a warning. And the reason I say it's a message of love, and this is to parents. Parents, when you tell your kids not to drink and drive, why do you say that? Because you love them. All right? When you tell your kids not to do things, not to, I don't know, when you tell your kids to look both ways before they cross the street, do you say that because you hate your kids? No, you say that because you love them. And you know, if they don't do that, what's the potential things that can happen if they don't look both ways before they cross the street, or if they do drink and drive, or if they are out having promiscuous sex, right? you're preparing them or you're protecting them from things that could potentially happen to them. So you're loving them by telling them these things. That's the same thing Jesus Christ is doing here. He loves us so much, he's telling us to protect us from what can potentially happen. And what can potentially happen is an eternity of life separated from him. So if you're looking at this message as anything other than love, you're looking at it completely wrong. So, if you're again, if you're anything like me, I was on my knees crying out to the Lord, and the first question I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, okay, I don't want to make this mistake again. How do I know I'm saved? I don't want to assume. I don't want to guess. I don't want to go off someone else's opinion. I need to know for myself. How do I know that I'm saved? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will not find out that we have not failed the test. So what is he saying here? Very simple. If you want to know if you're saved, if you want to know if you're truly a Christian, test yourself. It's just that simple. Test yourself. And when you tell a Christian to test themselves, it's so foreign. It's almost rude. How dare you tell me to test my salvation? By all means, do whatever you want. But in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, you better be sure. So I wanted to be sure, and I wanted to test myself. So humans, humans fail at many things in life when we don't examine ourselves. So what are some of the most common failures humans have? Marriage. Marriage. Marriages often fail. And we'll talk about the reasons those marriages fail briefly. And it's mainly because we don't prepare ourselves. So for most people who get married, when do you start working on your marriage? After you get married. married. All right, and I'm going to... Right now, it probably sounds like it's perfect sense, but give me a two or three more minutes and you'll see why that, that just doesn't make sense. So most people work on their marriage when they get married. It's too late. It's too late. You've already been yourself for 20, 30 years, and now you're going to start trying to work on something. It's too late. Finances. When do most people start working on finances? When they're in debt. When they're in debt. It's too late. When you have a credit card, and when you bought your first house, it's too late to start learning finances at that point. It's too late to start learning a budget. When do most people start learning about sex? Well, kids actually are learning very young now, right? So if you're a parent, and you have a child that's 10 years old or above, and you haven't had that conversation with them about sex, don't worry, somebody else already has, right? And if you think you're protecting your kids because they don't watch television, or they don't have access to the internet, Guess what? Their friends watch television, and their friends have access to the internet. So I can assure you, a 10-year-old knows about sex. They know about it. And if you're a parent that doesn't want to have that conversation, that's fine. If you want to wait six or seven more years, they're going to have six or seven or eight more years of knowing about sex from their friends. And then you're going to jump in, and they're not going to listen to you, right? Drugs, business, um, even business. Um, it's, it's, It's our responsibility to teach kids, to teach the youth, how they, should, how, they should, how they should respond in the workforce, how they should act, how, should, how they should dress, how they should shake someone's hand, how they should look a person in the eye, all these things. Marriages. Um, marriage starts at three or four years old when the kid is looking at how the parents are treating each other, right? When they look at how the husband respects the wife or how the wife respects the husband and vice versa, how they're loving each other. And a lot of kids don't have good examples. So then they don't have a good example from their parents and then they go to school Um, And they have terrible dating relationships. They They don't understand how to date properly or prepare for marriage. And then they get married, right? So humans fail many times when we don't prepare ourselves, when we don't examine ourselves to see if we're ready for that thing we want. However, if you want to be a doctor, how many years does it take for you to become a doctor? Anyone? What do you think? Any level, heart surgeon to orthodontist. 30 years, absolutely correct. I've had people say four years or eight years. Did you forget about kindergarten, primary school, secondary, college, undergraduate, then your master's, then clinicals? Then you have to take a test. You've done 20 years of school. Then they say, hey, you need to take this test because I still don't know about you, right? You have to take a test. And only then once you pass that test where they say, hey, yeah, you're a doctor now. Even driving. Even driving. Something that's so basic in driving, they will not give you a license without taking a test. But Christians, I don't need a test, right? I know I'm a Christian. How do you know? The things we've tried without preparing for have failed. Marriage. Marriages have challenges. Mine has challenges. Every marriage has challenges. You have to work on that from birth. That's something parents have to get down to their kids and teach and learn and study. You have to work on that very young. Finances fail because we only work on that once we get in debt. So please do not rely on yourself to determine your salvation. Let the Bible determine if you're saved. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, Test yourselves. Examine yourselves to know that you are in the faith. If you are in the faith, you should be very excited. If you're not in the faith, you should be very concerned. However, I'm not going to end there. I'm going to tell you what the test questions are, right? So you can go and test yourselves later this evening. But please test yourselves. So there's two doctrines that people always talk about, where there's two doctrines, but only one ever gets spoken about. Assurance of the believer. Once you're saved, you're always saved. No one can take that salvation from you. The devil can't swipe you away from the Lord. And that's 100% correct. Once you're saved, you're always saved. However, assurance of salvation. How do you know you're saved? So it's not that the devil takes people away from God. Those people probably were never saved. So how do you know you're saved? So we're going to go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And we'll be closing very shortly. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Now, this is an epistle that John wrote, and an epistle is just a letter. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he explains why he wrote that letter. And he wants to make it very clear to the people he's speaking to of why he wrote that letter. In 1 John 5, verse 13, I'll write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wrote the book of 1 John for one reason. So you can know that you are saved. So you know that you have eternal life. Now, what was so important that John wanted us to know? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the beautiful thing here is this is where he gives us hope. He starts with giving us hope. He says, God is light. If we walk in darkness, we're not of God. But if we walk in light the same as he does, that's where we're supposed to be. But those times where we do sin, his son cleanses us from that sin. Jesus Christ cleanses us from the sin and the filth in our life. So that's the message of hope. But right after that, he does want you to test yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith. And the way he wants you to test yourselves is um 1 John chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 2 verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And it's very simple. You know you're saved, you know if you're a Christian If you keep the commandments of the Lord, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So. For those of you who are really trying to test your salvation, I really encourage you to read the book of 1 John. It goes on and on to talk about, and it says, sin is prevalent in everyone's life. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar, because all of us have sin. I have sin. You have sin. And if you say sin does not exist in your life, you're a liar. And it says in those exact words. So in the book of 1 John, what it's talking about is really asking Christians (coughs) to examine themselves (coughs) to truly see if you're saved. It's that important. And every time I'm talking to some of my friends back home, um, the friends that have really close relationships, we go to their scripture. When I understand their lifestyle and I see things that they're doing or how they're treating their wife, I just ask them very simple questions. Are you sure you're saved? And they ask me the same thing. Yes, of course I'm saved. And then I just take them to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and I said, please be sure. And I said, the way you can be sure, and then we go to 1 John chapter 5, and I say, test yourself. How do you respond to sin? And to give you an example of how to respond to sin, I'll give you a personal example of something that just happened this morning. I went to couple's marriage Bible study yesterday. Um, there was couples that came to my house. We had a couple's Bible study. After that couple's Bible study, um, I don't even remember exactly what happened, um, but Gene and I, Jenny and my wife and I had a disagreement. Right, Right after the Bible study, we had a disagreement. And that disagreement carried on for a couple of hours. Even until the time I went to sleep, I was tossing and turning. I was very upset. I woke up. I was still bitter. The Lord said, apologize. I said, I'm not apologizing. I was right. It's not going to happen. I'm not apologizing. This time I was right. It does not deserve an apology. So while I was praying this morning in preparation for the uh, message, it hit me. The Lord said, how dare you stand in front of the church and speak to these people about this message after you've just treated your wife this way? He said, I could care less of what you say to these people. You need to go and ask your wife, seek forgiveness. All right? So for the next 30 minutes, I'm just like, it's like Christmas Eve, I'm waiting on her to wake up. She's asleep. I'm waiting on her to come downstairs. Man, please hurry up. And she finally comes downstairs, and I see her. Jenny, I'm sorry. For what? Jenny, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. All right? So I apologized to her, and I reconciled, and I was sincere. Right. And that's what the Lord is saying. Sin exists in everyone's life, big or small, it exists. And he understands it exists, and Jesus Christ forgives us for that sin. But it's when we become numb to it, and when we actually do say, I'm not going to apologize. Right? I did wrong a person, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I did commit this sin, and I'm going to continue committing this sin because Jesus will forgive me, so I'll commit it over and over and over and over habitually. He's saying if you can commit those sins over and over and over and over habitually, You're not saved, because that means he's not working in you. Your heart has not been regenerated. It's impossible for something as powerful as Jesus Christ to touch you, and you're the same person. So those were the three messages today. First, beware. There's going to be people that come to you that look just like me, look like Christians, look like leaders of the church, and they're going to steer you away from Jesus Christ. Please beware, and the only way you can beware is studying your Bible continuously. Know the Lord for yourself. Know the scriptures for yourself. To those people who think you're saved and you're not, please know your salvation today. Um, I would not take another step without being sure. And if you have questions, please ask. You can ask me. And then if you're looking to see how to examine your life to understand if you're truly saved, go to the book of 1 John and just take your time and read it and understand it. That's all I have. Let us close in prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to your church today. Um, Lord, that's always a difficult message. Um, I know it really spoke to me this morning and in the past, and every time I read it, it really challenges me. And I just pray, Lord, that someone was able to receive it exactly the way you wanted them to receive it. And Lord, I just thank you for all the time you've forgiven us for our sins. Thank you for allowing your son to die on the cross. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in the church today that needs answers, they need more understanding. They need guidance. They're unsure. Don't let them leave today, Lord, without providing clarity. Lord, thank you for always being there for us, providing for the church and for the families financially, (coughs) emotionally, spiritually. There are so many challenges that we have, and we just thank you for always providing. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.